Take out your Bible and just hold it for a minute. I'm going to start this morning with a little story. It'd be fitting to be holding your Bible as you, uh, as you listen to this. I want to tell the story of a prince who was an heir to the Spanish crown. He's the Prince of Granada, and he was sentenced to solitary confinement in Madrid's ancient prison called the Place of the Skull. True story. Everyone knew about this place, that once you got in, you weren't coming out alive, so to be sentenced here was, was not a good thing. He was given one book to read the entire time, and it was his Bible. So he was given a Bible to read, and so that became uh, his constant companion while he was in there. He read it over, in fact, hundreds and hundreds of times. Times. After 33 years of imprisonment, he died. When they came out to clean out his cell, what they found on the walls was surprising. He had taken some small nails and written in the stone walls of the prison. And he had made some notations of this sort. Psalm 118.8 is the middle verse of the Bible. Ezra 7.21 contains all the letters of the alphabet except the letter J. The ninth verse of the eighth chapter of Esther is the longest verse in the Bible. And no word or name of more than six syllables can be found in the Bible. Now, when author Scott Udell originally noted these facts in an article for Psychology Today, he noted the following. Isn't it odd that an individual who spent 33 years of his life studying what some have described the greatest book of all time, all he could glean from it was trivia? As you're holding your Bible this morning, I wonder where you would land on that. Uh, Some of us have spent a lot of years studying the Bible and gaining facts about the Bible And many people who have been given that kind of opportunity walk away from that. And in essence, all they've gleaned is trivia. They've gleaned gleaned some knowledge about a book, but they haven't made a profession of faith and let it change their life. This morning, what I want to do is begin what's going to be just a condensed about three-week series about enjoying your Bible. And I think for some of you in this room... It will just be nothing but refresher. It will be things that maybe you're already practicing and you can nod in agreement. Um, you can add a little tidbit of something that, that God might show you in these next few weeks. Or you can share with me your ideas and the great things God's been teaching you and changing your life as you've been reading the Bible. Some of you have wandered from enjoying the Bible. You've enjoyed it at one point. You've been rich in the Word. And for some reason, for many reasons perhaps... That has kind of wandered. And, um, and much of a pastor's job, I would say, is reminding Christians who have the Spirit of God s- some things they already know and stir to mind thoughts and ideas they already possess, but, but maybe they've been buried a little bit. But I would venture for some of you, this will be brand new, and, and maybe you don't enjoy your Bible. I grew up with a deep sense that I should enjoy my Bible. I grew up with a deep sense that the Bible was valuable and yet I struggled at times to, to enjoy it. Uh, that wouldn't be the word I would have used. I longed for it, and yet I struggled to interact with it, and maybe you're somewhat the same way. I don't know how many of you forgot to eat over the last couple of weeks during the break, but my, my guess is that uh, very few of you have forgotten to eat meals these last two weeks. I'm not judging you. Don't think I'm saying that. I'm just saying that we are known... Uh, especially here in America, but the last couple of weeks of December, early January, uh, that's eating time. I mean, we just we just kind of you know nuzzle up to the feeding trough and strap on and get and get going. Here's what's remarkable: is um, 
As you look at food and the, the nature of physical eating, there's a lot of spiritual tie-in to that. And uh, as eating is vital to our being alive, so digesting the Word of God is vital for a disciple and their Christian walk. And so that's why, just like a coach going over the fundamentals to a, to a group of professional ball players who know the fundamentals but need to be called back to it, it's important to get back and say, man, this is really, really important that we are digesting and feeding on God's Word ourselves. Without it, we'll shrivel up and die. If you were to see someone who was sick and gaunt looking and ask them what the matter was and they said, well, um, I'm sick and gaunt looking, can't you tell? And they say, uh, yeah, I can get that. Um, and, and you ask them, you know, if they need something to eat or drink and they say, no, I'm doing just fine. And they say, well, when was the last time you ate? Well, it was six days ago. I loaded up. I was totally full six days ago. And uh, so I'm totally good. You would look at that person and say, no, what you need is you need some water and you need some food. And the person may not even know it, but, but that's fundamental to them surviving and, and thriving. So it is for us spiritually that, uh, that, that some people tend to go through their Christian walk wondering why they can't fight off the disease of sin. Wonder why they're, they're so foggy-headed in their judgment. Some of you get real cranky when you're, when you're hungry. We have two in particular in our household that if they get hungry, they just turn like from, you know, sweet little innocent, uh, not innocent, sweet little, uh, to just bear, you know, like, and, 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 um, my wife's really in tune with that. I tend to like start disciplining and like, let's figure out the rules and all that. And my wife's like, feed them. You know, it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> you feed them. And they're just angels again. You're like, wow, that's, wish that always worked. It doesn't always work. But, uh, now I just shove food in when they're acting up. That doesn't work. Then we get back to their stuff. Probably most in this room don't, don't need help with being convinced that, that we need to, to read God's word. Um, in fact, sometimes I think what can happen is that can just heap on more shame and more guilt. And some of you are like, oh man, I get three weeks of you know, feeling bad about not reading God's word enough. I've really been praying for this start of the year that it wouldn't be more of that. And some of you parents are really gracious with your kids in how to balance Man, we really want to stir up good things in you. We really want you to be going in the right direction. But we also don't want to, you know, keep, keep on guilt and shame when, when you're not doing that. Or, or somehow, somehow make that the whole thing that you're performing, uh, you know, these kind of, kind of spiritual duties. I think most need help with the, with the motivation. Uh, because I think genuinely, if we see the end goal, I think if we see what the prize is, I think it makes the journey a joy. Um, and you just talk to pregnant ladies and, and ladies who've had kids in here. Um, they can endure uh, some of the strains leading up to it because their mind is thinking, no, this is for a purpose. So if we lose sight of that, our motivation wanes, doesn't it? And we just feel like it's routine or, or whatever. The other thing is I think some people literally don't have the basics down on how to approach the most unique book, uh, really collection of books that you'll ever come across. And so not having some basics, it's easy to get charged up and go, all right, I'm going to do it this time. And you start reading, and without some, some indicators or, or help or some little tools, it can get really, really frustrating. And sometimes the way the enemy works is he would say, you've been a Christian a long time. If you admit that you don't know how to do this or that you're bogged down here, that will sure look bad. And it can just derail it once again. I'm saying all of this from personal experience. So I want to, I wanna this morning and in the weeks to follow, um, talk about 
motivation and, and the heart behind it and the goal of scripture reading. I also want to talk about some basic tools and methods that I think will be helpful. It's not going to be a seminary class. We're not going super deep with this. Uh, I'm not trying to give you, you know, the, the whole thing, but, but I just want to hopefully put some things in your, in your hand that are, that are helpful. Um, I'm calling this Eat to Live because uh, at its most basic sense, that's what scripture reading is and, and Bible study is. And there are times that you really feel like eating and you can't wait to eat and you sit down and you get to enjoy one of your favorite meals. There's other times that, especially when you come from a, a larger family, you don't get to eat what you like. It's not your favorite meal, but it's still meal time and you still need to refuel, so you eat up. And uh, Bible reading can be much the same way, can it? There's, there's just times I've just come so hungry and, and I just it's so enjoyable to me. It's, it's literally like sitting down at a feast and other times where I'm choking down lima beans and I'm just going, all right, I got to get them down. I know I should be eating this. And that's the reality of it. And, and that's, just, that's just how it is. And so eat to live. You don't stop eating because you go, well, it's a little bit of a struggle to eat. You know, I don't like everything that I eat. You don't stop eating. You, you figure it out and you keep pressing on. And that's, that's really uh, at the core of what I want to challenge you to do um, with, with this as well. Martin Luther had a method of reading, and um, it just showed how extremely valuable the Bible was to Martin Luther. Listen to what he says. He says, I study my Bible as I gather apples. First, I shake the whole tree that the ripest fruit may fall. Then I shake each limb, and when I have shaken each limb, I shake each branch and every twig. Then I look under every leaf. I search the Bible as a whole, like shaking the whole tree. I shake every limb, studying book after book. Then, then I shake every branch, giving attention to the chapters. Then I shake every twig or carefully study the paragraphs and sentences and words and their meanings. Now you hear that and you go, that sounds great. I mean, that just sounds awesome. But how do I enjoy the Bible the way Martin Luther seemed to enjoy the Bible. Well, that's, that's a little bit of what we want to talk, talk about. Uh, the scriptures make it pretty clear this, that, uh, that, that why you do something is more important than what you do. And so the heart of a matter really starts, starts the whole issue. And so uh, even as we come to Bible reading, I want to start with your heart. And I want to start with, with the motivations behind it. Uh, a very unsuccessful thing I could do this morning is to either with eloquence, with trickery, with nagging, or with brute force or fear, somehow get you to start reading the Bible. That would just be a fail for me. I would look at that and say, not my goal, not what I intended to do. But on the other hand, if I were able to stir up your heart and God were able to use some of the scripture passages, people from our past and stories that are brought together and illustrations to coalesce and say in your heart, man, this is something I... I, I, I want to start doing that for you, Jesus. That would be a success. And that's what I'm after. First Samuel 16 says this, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Now you can also do the right thing with the wrong attitude, as Second Chronicles 25, 2 says, And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but yet not, yet not with his whole heart. So there's, 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 there's possibility for us to get marching down this and, and steer off in some different ways. One is to leave the heart completely out of it, and the other one is to do it and kind of do it drudgingly and let it live there and just, and just kind of be how we do Bible study and how we view Bible study. The reality is this, that a new heart brings new desires. 
And so when you're saved, here's what happens. New things begin to, to well up in your life that you can't explain apart from God. You say, well, I always knew that was the right thing to do, but I never did it, first of all, or never did it for long. And I certainly never wanted to do it. Wow, this is weird. Now I want to do the right thing. Wow, this is really odd. The very thing that used to bring me pleasure and I used to feel guilty about, I knew it was wrong, but those things actually are becoming distasteful to me. In fact, I'm beginning to get violently ill thinking about those kinds of things going on in my life anymore. You know what that is? That's a regenerate heart. And that's a gift, isn't it? You can't muster that up. You can't, you can't just make yourself come to life any more than a dead body can reach out and give itself you know, CPR and bring itself back to life. Like the creation story, we need the breath of life breathed into us from the Father. And for so many of us in this room, we can just give testimony to say, yeah, I resonate with that. Well, one of the things that a new heart brings is a desire for God's word. So one of the powerful thoughts I want to plant in your mind is this. As you are trying, as you are striving, as you are wanting to walk in this, you have the spirit of God in you that is whispering, breathing, and agreeing with that and wanting to enable that exact same thing. So new hearts bring new desires. First Peter 2, 2 says this, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Now, I am thrilled, actually, that he just left the room. Because um, I've got a little one-year-old boy that when he sees this, um, everything else in his world shuts down and he locks in to this little uh, plastic bottle filled usually with a white substance called milk. And when he sees this thing, here's what goes on. He goes, ah! 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 And he freaks out about it. And we're trying to teach him that in a family, when the meal is served, we, we don't want him at 18 just going, ah! and just banging his fist because that's weird. And people won't invite us back for dinner. So... So when he sees this, I'll tell you what's going on in his little brain. Uh, in an institution, what happens is when the food comes around, you get what you can get when it comes. And so actually, orphanage kids tend to develop all kinds of strategies of how to get the most food. Some are really charming, and they engage the one as much as they can to keep getting little bites of food. And you actually have to train them out of that and say, in a family, you don't need to manipulate me as a caregiver. I love you. I'm going to give you all kinds of food. Some just get loud, and the louder they are, the more food they got in the orphanage. So they just make it loud. Uh, Eli's loud. Uh, we're we're going to actually invest in some sound dampening things in our kitchen because he's loud. And he just, he just makes it known. And he fixates on this actually in kind of an unhealthy way right now. But if we're ever making a B-O-T-T-L-E, and yes, we have to spell it because he already knows that word, we bring it in, we'll bring it undercover. If Tegan's coming in, she'll sneak in like this and bring it in. Because we don't want it out and present until I'm ready to give the kid the bottle. Because if I'm trying to do anything uh, else, then, then, then it's game over until he gets his bottle. Now I look at that and I say, wow, what a great picture of a brand new believer. Brand new believer that just says, man, don't give me a reading program. Reading programs are way, way, way too slow. You want me to read a chapter a day? Give me a break. I'm halfway through the New Testament. I can't get enough of this. I, I, I hope you've had that kind of experience. I, I don't know when you got saved or, or, or if you're saved, but, 
But there's a, there's a really sweet experience that goes on when, when, when the light of, of Christ floods your life and you just go, man, I can't get enough of this. And you long for the pure milk of the word. And, and that's something actually that, um, that is a really, really great thing. We're going to talk more on, on milk later, um, but, that's a, but that's a beautiful picture. Now, some of you have said, man, I've, I've been there. I've had that experience. I so long to be in God's Word. You, you, you basically couldn't keep me away from being in God's Word. But that was a long, long time ago. And I don't know what's changed, but something's changed. I don't freak out at the bottle anymore. In fact, the bottle can get pushed to the back of the fridge. I, I barely miss it anymore. And some of you are in a, in a place right now where you say, man, that's, that's my interaction with God's Word. And, and I'm not sure what the deal is. I know it's good, I know it's necessary, but I don't want to read God's Word. I don't want to be in His Word. What happened? Let me just point out a couple of things. One is that there's a spiritual battle going on. In any battle, there's allies in a battle, in a war, and there's enemies in a, in a, in a battle. And so, to understand that there are spiritual forces fighting against you taking your Bible and having communion with God. That, that when you sit down and try to do this as an individual, that when you as a young married couple say, you know what, we're going to just start our marriage off right. We're going to be a couple that's of the word. There are spiritual forces fighting against that very thing happening. You family leaders that sit down and say, we started a new tradition this year. We're going to gather around as a family and we're going to have God's word read in our home. We're going to teach the Jesus story to our kids as best we know it. There are spiritual forces against that happening. Some of you can attest that and say, Amen, I know that. I experience that on a regular basis. Here's the beautiful thing. There are spiritual allies to this happening too. And greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. One of our band guys, he's just nodding his head. One of our band guys said uh, earlier, or prayed earlier, oh no, it was, it was publicly, that, that, uh, that, that we're more than conquerors. And, and how can we be more than conquerors? It's a, it's a powerful thought, isn't it? That we're more than conquerors in Christ. So as you are going to read the scriptures, as you are going to lead a Bible study on your campus or in your office, as you are going to lead your family or just commit to being a part of this, to realize that there are allies in this battle that you're engaged in. The second thing about reading your Bible and feeding yourself spiritually is this. There's probably others, and in community groups you can expand on this. But let me point out a couple of differences between physical hunger and spiritual hunger. One is this. The more you eat physically, the less you want, right? At some point, you reach this point where you're bloated, you've, you've loosened the belt, you've pushed back from the table, you're like, more mashed potato. You can't even get the words out. And at some point, I mean, mashed potatoes, you're like, you know, take it away. I can't see another potato until tomorrow. And then all of a sudden it comes back. It's crazy. But, but the more you eat, the, the less you want. You, you actually get filled up. And, and I, for me, experientially, it, it's opposite of that, that. That the more I eat spiritually, the more hungry I become for it. And physically, if you cut yourself off, if you stop, if you slow your meals to a trickle and eat one time a day, 
what happens is your body doesn't just follow suit with that. It actually craves more and more and more. Whereas if, if, you, if you do the same thing spiritually, if, if you take God's word and you've been reading it seven days a week and then you cut down to five and then three and then one, what happens is pretty soon you can exist in a one-time-of-a-week pattern for years. And it's opposite of, of how our spiritual hungers go. Here's the other thing that's opposite about spiritual and physical hunger is that physically you eat now, you benefit for it, you, 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 you benefit from it now. It takes away your hunger, it gives you energy, it gives you great taste, and yet you can pay for it later. So if you eat bad junk right now and you fill your body with it, you're going to pay for it, but it's not till later, right? If you eat stuff right now, there's some immediate gratification, whether it's healthy food or bad food for you. But sometimes you pay for it later in, in your body and, and what goes on with it. Think about, think about spiritually. You eat now. So often, isn't it true that what you read today actually isn't for today? It's actually for a season that God's preparing you for two months from now. And, and, a, and a verse, you know, Rob memorized a verse and gave it to us and it fits the song and it fits the moment. But what sometimes happens is you memorize a verse or a passage, you think it's for one thing, but really God was setting that up because you needed that as a deep truth in your life because some waves are coming later on down the road. And, and so many times in my life I see this. I ate here and I benefited from it here. Sometimes hours later, days later, weeks later, sometimes years later. So the immediate gratification of reading God's word doesn't work the same way that eating a Twinkie does. I haven't eaten a Twinkie in a long time, but some about shoving a you know, spongy thing that can last 100 years in a package in your mouth. You're like, yeah! Something in you just fires. You're like, yeah, that little cowboy Twinkie. Yeehaw! Let's ride. But you read God's Word, it's, it's, not, it's not always like that. You don't read it and just a bolt of lightning comes down and your life is changed in an instant. But, but the benefit comes later. And so... Immediately, you have the eat now and the pay now. There's some discipline to sitting down and getting into God's word that's the now. But the benefit so often is for later. There's a whole principle found in Galatians about kind of the principles of sowing and reaping that you, you plant in one season and it's a different season that, that, that harvest is, is reaped from that planting. In all of history... The Bible is, uh, is the most cherished of all books. It's continually, perpetually on the bestseller list. And if you look at different countries, I was just thinking through different countries. And post-revolutions and pre-revolutions and post-war and pre-war. And, and, and from, from the tips of South America to, to Europe and all of its changes that have gone on. All through the U.S. history. All through the Orient and all through the East near and far, that, that the Bible is this most treasured book. The question is why? The Bible's precious because the Bible reveals God. So let me just, let me just throw this out to you as we, think through, um, as we think through getting into God's Word. And again, for some of you, many of you in fact, um, have started up with our, our Expedition 366 team, which is the uh, the Bible reading that's going on uh, kind of in, in collective joint group on the city. And if you haven't joined it yet, come talk to me. I'll let you know what that's about. It's in your bulletin. There's some information there. But some of you have just spent your first week in a brand new reading program. And the first week's good. I mean, the first week's just really good because you're like, yeah, seven days, I got it. What you got? You know, you're just feeling really good. 
You, you know, you who love check marks, you're like, booyah, I got it. And, you know, it's kind of like the first part of a semester of a school year. You know, you get the syllabus, you're like, yeah, I'm all over this. But some of you know yourselves, and you know you need to guard, because the first week's not your problem, is it? It's the middle week. It's this summer that's going to be an issue. It's going to be the push for the end as fall rolls around and winter rolls on. But I, I want to just say to you, that's awesome that you've picked up. I heard a testimony late late in the year that said, um, praise God, I just completed the Bible for the first time in my life. And this person who wrote this, all kinds of growth going on. All kinds of exciting things happening in this person's life. It's not a shock to me that this person says, man, I, I just read the Bible for the first time. Now, I've probably read it a bunch of, of different parts, but now I can say, yeah, I've read the whole Bible. And that's a, that's a really, really cool thing. The prize of Bible reading is you pick it up. The prize is God. So, so as you invest time, as you pay now, so to speak, the reward, the prize is God. Just the time that you invest in this is time in his presence seeking him. The, 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 the time that, that, that you pour over the scriptures and like an apple tree in Martin Luther's illustration, you're shaking and looking and hunting for apples. It's time that as you look back on, you realize I'm getting to know God and God's letting me know myself even as we interact and spend time in the word. Now, like anything that you've ever searched for, um, the, the size of the prize or the grandeur or value of the prize is proportionate to the amount of effort you'll put into the search, right? So if, if the size of the prize is huge, the search ought to be huge. The scope of the search ought to be huge. The breadth of it and the length of the search ought to be massive. If it's not that valuable to you, here's how the search goes. You lift a few things, you check a few things, eh, it's lost. But if it's really valuable to you, what do you do? Tear the house apart. Then you start tearing your neighbor's house apart. And then you're calling people saying, have you seen this or that? It's lost. i got to find this thing. I thought about my kid being in an ocean somewhere. And I thought, man, you know, how many square miles is too daunting if my kid's floating around out there in the ocean and I think he's alive? There's just, there's no, there's no, there's no limit to that. So if the prize is God... It brings us to this idea of a search. And that's where the idea of Expedition 366 comes in. It's an expedition. You're on a mission with this thing. Searching for God. Jesus often, if you notice, didn't, um, didn't spell things out for people. That's why he taught in parables much of the time. Even when asked a direct question, what would Jesus do? So many times. Sidestep, right? He'd fire a question back. I'll answer your question. Oh, good. Finally, we're going to get a straight answer out of this guy. Then he'd ask them a question that they're like, ooh. And then they don't ask him any more questions. They don't care that he didn't answer their questions. So many times what Jesus would do is, is, is he would give them a little part of something. And then what he's doing is this. He's inviting disciples on a search with him. He's inviting them to be part of the process. Psalm 105, 4 says this. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. After being predicted that uh, the people of God would be scattered and there would be bitter days, here's what Deuteronomy 4.29 says, But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find Him if you search after Him with all your heart and with all your soul. 
Luke 11.10, Jesus says, For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. Proverbs 8.17, Those who diligently seek me will find me. And finally, Psalm 119, 9-10. This links the idea of purity, not just in young men, but purity and the search going together. You want to know how to battle sin this year? You want to know how to overcome it? Listen to this. Many of us know the first part of this well. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it, what? According to your word, right? You know what the next verse says? With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. There's this search going on. What it is, if you think about it, is it's a little bit of a partnership with the Almighty. And this is by design. God revealing, us discovering and searching. Us going on a hunt and feeling our way toward God, and God enjoying that process by whatever reason He has in His head and mind, and then He reveals bit by bit by bit. So many of you could could just tell powerful stories that you go, man, if if I knew the whole story in advance, I don't know if I would have been able to walk in in that way. But, But as it was, God gave me little bit by little bit. And as I look back on my life, I realize what he's doing is he's giving me only what I can handle and grace for the moment in that day to walk and live in that day. It's like manna, food, for that day. And then there creates this relationship. There creates dependence. There creates this partnership. And that's the beauty of why I think God put the search on. We search, he reveals and enables the search. That's why he called, He says this, it is the glory of kings to search out a matter. Now many people miss out on this though. The reason is, is that it's so much easier um, to eat pre-digested food, right? So... Um, I've been actually eating a lot of these lately. Uh, if you are what you eat, um, it may explain some things. I've been on what's called the brat diet lately. Now, the brat diet is bananas, rice, applesauce, and toast. Um, guess what I've had for every day of this year? Right? No rice. See, we didn't have any rice, so I'm really on the bat diet, which doesn't explain much, because I'm more of a brat than a bat. But... Um, one day that I decided to, to veer off of this, I thought I was better, and, um, and I paid for it. It was really not fun. But as I open this banana and, and start to think about eating it, it actually sounds good despite the fact that I've been eating them a lot. Um, let me just... Yeah, that's good. Um, as I eat this, some of you are looking at this going, that looks really good. That donut hole I had like 40 minutes ago... I shouldn't have eaten it. It's just that didn't stay with me. Let me assure you, this is a really, really good banana. Um, now, I don't want to gross you out. Well, sort of I do, but if I were to take the bite I had just eaten and didn't swallow it, but rather spit it back into a bowl and then held that in my left hand and, and held out the rest of this banana in my right hand, as mostly clearly thinking adults in this room this morning, I, there's a few of you, I know your personalities, you'd take what's in the left hand, just for shock value. And you'd help me illustrate the point, but 
<laughs> but most of you would take the banana because you're adults and you'd rather have the banana. You know who would benefit from, from the, the one in my left hand? It'd be our, our babies in this room, right? And those of you who have little kids, you're like, yeah, that actually is helpful. Here, eat this. And so around the world, people do that. They, they partially digest the food by starting the process of breaking it down, chewing it up, adding some of their saliva and feeding it. It's not really that gross. It's just baby food, right? Minus saliva, I hope. Um, but, but there's baby food, pre-digested food, and then there's just food that comes right, you know, right from the source, whatever that might be, whether it be a banana or a steak. And the, the point that I'm wanting to bring up is this, is that people who decide that it is enough for someone else to be on a search with God, to get into His Word, to do the hard work of discovering it and working at what the Scriptures mean and wrestling back and forth and praying and saying, God, what does this mean? It's enough for someone else to be doing that and then give it to you and then you decide, I'm full, I'm good. And I would liken that physically to me as an adult offering you pre-chewed up, pre-chewed, pre-partially digested food. And it ought to sound disgusting to you. And more than that, you ought to think that's rather unhealthy. Because I'm not getting the nutrients that as an adult I'm required to get. So here's my statement. If you, not someone else, but if you are not systematically, purposefully studying the Bible, then you are missing out on the life that God wants and desires for you. If you are not systematically, purposefully studying the Bible, you are missing out on the life that God wants and desires for you. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5. Now in Hebrews chapter 5, um, some of your brains were probably already going here. Hebrews chapter 5 is what gives me confidence in making a statement that says it's not just for a select few or even half of the community of God to be the ones doing the studying and the hard work of thinking and wrestling and searching the scriptures and then passing it on their discovery to those who aren't that gifted at it, don't like it that much, don't have many Bible study tools or training, and instead that, that, that it ought to be for the whole community. Look at Hebrews uh, chapter 5 and start in verse 11. It says, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since some of you, since, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Look at chapter 6. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. And I'll just pause there. 
So all of a sudden we have the pure milk of the word that ought to be longed for and you ought to freak out for it like Eli does for his bottle. And milk's a good thing. All of a sudden now we see in Hebrews that maybe milk's not such a good thing. Maybe if milk's all you're drinking, not maybe, you are a child. You've not yet been weaned from pre-digested food. And so you're not getting the benefit that goes on in the wrestling over a passage. Because you've leaned on someone else to do that for you. Let me say this, you will mature as you feed on God's word. You will mature as you feed on God's word. Now, some of you are asking, but what about Bible studies uh, curriculum? And what about Sunday sermons? And what about podcasts that I listen to? And Christian authors that help me? And, and study guides and devotional books and worship CDs? Here's what I'd say about all of those. I think all those are great and have their place. But all of those are meant to supplement your diet of feasting on God's Word. So think about it this way. If you're going through a month of eating, you're eating meals, maybe roughly three times a day. So you're eating your meals and getting energy and you're paying attention to what you're eating. Now some of you lack certain vitamins and your body needs certain things. So what do you do? You take dietary supplements. A supplement comes along and fills in gaps that might be there. And so it kind of, kind of helps you move along. But what if you decide to make an absolute meal of vitamins and that's all you eat? And you're like, yeah, I'm getting three squares a day. And you just chug down some vitamins. Got my multi. You know, I had it this morning. It's ludicrous. No one would ever do that physically. And yet spiritually, I think a lot of people, especially with all the technology we have at our fingertips, all the things pouring in, there can be a, a lulling to sleep, a dulling of the senses that says, why would I go study that? Someone much smarter than me has already studied that. I'll just hear what he has to say about it. Do you see the danger in that? Look back at the end of chapter 5 in your Bibles, if it's still open. How are you able to distinguish good from evil? Tell me. Look at it. It's an open book test. By constant practice, by constant use. So as you are constantly using this, you are maturing. You are growing up in Christ. You'll find yourself as you begin to saturate your mind and let your imagination be flooded with the story of God, you'll know the right thing to do. You'll get to a crossroads and where you used to call up people and say, this guy always gives me such great advice. I think I'll call him and see what he has to say. You know what will happen? The voice of God will whisper and, and you'll go, oh yeah, I already know that. And you'll look back on your year and say, wow, God, you've just been growing me. I knew quite clearly what was right and wrong because I just read that two weeks ago. And you haven't let that linger uh, leave my mind. That's just been in there rolling around. It will grow your faith. If people try to sustain their life on vitamin pills and wonder why they're sick, it's ludicrous. Now, what Bible studying and reading is, is a spiritual discipline. Flip over. Actually, don't even flip over. I'll just put it on the screen. You can flip over if you don't believe me. 1 Timothy 4, 7. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come.
A couple of things as you venture into the spiritual disciplines. And basically opening your Bible. Basic Bible reading, that's a spiritual discipline. That's why it's a spiritual war that you go in into it with. Here's a few comments about spiritual disciplines. One is this, that all spiritual disciplines are a means to an end. The end being life. The end being godliness. And not an end in themselves. It says in here in our in our passage that it's for the purpose of godliness. Now, other benefits will result as you do this. You might discover, wow, I'm I'm much more energetic because I've set a routine, and I'm I'm also doing better at work, and I'm I'm actually eating healthier because I actually eat a little breakfast while I'm doing my devotions. Whatever, all those things are great. You say fantastic with all, with all of that. But stay focused on the, the reason I'm doing this, though, is to get to the prize. The, the, the reason I'll keep doing this long after other side benefits may come and go is that I'm after the prize. You know why? Here's one of the, here's one of the, one of the benefits. First week of a Bible reading program on January uh, 7th of the year, there's a warm fuzzy, you and God. There's some emotion going on. You're like, man, I've rekindled my first love. I, I just love the feeling of being with God. That will fade. That will come again, but it will come and go. So if you begin to think that's the benefit, and then that goes away and you wonder what's wrong with me, or maybe I'm doing it wrong, or I guess I'll just stop doing it altogether, you can be duped into missing it. The other thing about spiritual disciplines is they can be practiced by anyone and are a normal part of the Christian life. Just like I can't eat for all of you, you need to all eat your own food, so it is spiritually. And as I pray and think about, God, what do you want for our people in 2012? And how should we use the next 50-some weeks as we gather corporately one time a week to open your word? What would you have us learn and do and, and understand about yourself? What I keep coming back to is, if, if my people, God says, if my people aren't, aren't in this, if this isn't just a culmination of what you've been going, what's been going on in your heart all week, then we're going to constantly be at square one. We'll be a square one church all the time. If our worship is just just kicks up into gear right around ten thirty on Sundays, we're going to be a dead church. Sunday mornings at ten thirty ought to be just this 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 end point and launch point for the week. That says, man, here's where collectively we've been doing this all week in so many different ways and so many different places that we come and pray, when we come and sing, when we come and have God's word read. It's all, it's all just a continuation of part of the, the normal routines of our life. So it is with our Bible reading. Another thing about spiritual disciplines is there's a prerequisite for it, and that is a longing after God. That's why I started with the heart. Spiritual disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. Knowing the mechanics, I'm going to get into some little bit of mechanics here and there. There's not, there's not too much skill to eating a banana, but there really is a method to it, right? If you hand someone a banana, they've never eaten it before, and you're just like, don't like them. Don't like bananas. You know, they, they didn't quite get it. So there is a little bit of understanding. Say, no, there's, there's a method to that. You don't need a lot of tools for it, but there, there is a, a little method to it. But knowing the mechanics uh, doesn't mean that you're practicing spiritual disciplines. 
You just look at the Pharisees for that, right? They, they had the, the mechanics down really, really well, better than probably any of us will attain in our lifetime, and yet their hearts were far from God. They were going through the motions of church without really having the relationship. Finally, spiritual disciplines will break the power of ingrained sin habits in your life. And so many times we use this kind of frontal attack of willpower. And the frontal attack of willpower works for a little while, right? Some of you, I I realized at the end of this Christmas season, I didn't make any pledge not to eat fudge this Christmas season. I was on the hunt for fudge, but I didn't eat any fudge at all, okay? Uh, I just got through the Christmas season like, wow, no fudge. So if any of you have any leftover fudge that's quality, not the hard stuff, it's crumbly. You're like, what should we do with this? I think Dave mentioned something. I don't want that. Good fudge. But some of you made a commitment. I will not eat fudge this year. And you're like, I'm not going to do it. And the willpower frontal attack, it may even have worked for a day or two or a couple of weeks. But some of you have nibbled on fudge. I know you. You're like, I'll take the stuff with the walnuts even. I'll suck on the walnuts and spit them out. But I want the fudge. Some of you made it through this year. But next year's coming again. And there's going to be more fudge. And the frontal willpower approach to our sin, hear me, does not work. It doesn't work. That's not God's design even for for how it should work. God's work is internal and must be done His way. And part of what the spiritual disciplines do is, apart from your even being aware of it sometimes, isn't this true? God's working on you in an area, in a part of your life. And sometimes... Um, you'll just, it'll hit you from the side and you'll be like, wow, God's been working on me in a long time in that area. Here I was studying this for someone else. This is common for a pastor. I was studying about this for someone else and the voice of the Lord was saying, this isn't for that person. You're not studying this to help that person that you're meeting with in a few days. This is for you, son. You're struggling with this area right here. Listen to, to yourself before you preach it to others. One caution before you launch into any spiritual discipline is this. That if you turn any, any discipline into the prize, it leads to death. Jesus talked about whitewashed tombs. He was talking to those who had made their Bible reading program and their exaltation of how great their Bible reading program was visible and known to everyone else. And it was a whitewashed tomb. It looked pretty and clean, but it was dead and it stinketh. And that can be how our spiritual disciplines are as well. And Jesus actually said, take great cautions to make sure that this isn't being done for someone else, that this is being done after a heart that longs for God. In John 5.39, Jesus said this to Pharisees who had great Bible reading programs. Listen to this. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. The Pharisees were like, Foolish miners who are just, they're mining away. They're working furiously, leaving chunks of gold left and right. They thought it was about the search and the dig, and they're just walking right by the gold. And somehow we can fall into the same trap as Pharisees who are, who are doing that. God is the prize of Scripture, the person behind the words. That's why Psalm 119.24 says this, Your statutes are my delight. I close with this thought. How do you move from duty to delight? Some of you have had a lot of duty preached to you, which is, which is something like this. It's something of the nature of, you ought to be doing it. 
Shame on you. You should be doing this. You really need to work harder at XYZ. And what that becomes is that drudging job that you have and you just, you just, you almost can't even begin to think anything positive about it. I recognize some of you may not need to enter into a reading program in 2012. That might be the worst thing that could happen for you. Some of you actually need to chuck all reading plans, lay them aside, and just go do it for the pure love of God and the pure enjoyment of reading. I think a majority of you actually need some structure and discipline and encouragement on the other end, though. Ephesians 5.1. Just turn to Ephesians 5 and we'll, we'll land here and then, um, and then break shortly. Ephesians 5 gives us the key of how to move from duty to delight. I hope you read Psalm 119.24. Your statutes are my delight. And I hope there's a longing for you to have that same sentiment. Ephesians 5, chapter 1 says this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. That's it. Look at me. That's it. You want to know how to move from duty to delight in your Bible reading? Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Do you see what happens if you leave off as beloved children? Be imitators of God, period, is what the Pharisees did. Be imitators of God is that cold, lifeless religion that some of you walked away from vowing never to be ensnared in again. It had to do with duty. It had to do with drudgery. It had to do with lifeless work with no end in sight. But being imitators of God as beloved children changes everything. Because all of a sudden it's placed in the context of a good and loving Heavenly Father and you get this picture of a little girl mimicking her mommy and just wanting to be just like her in things. So many times in our household someone will pipe up, look mommy, we're the same. Look, Daddy, we're the same. We both like this. And what's happening there is beloved, secure children who've blessed with everything that, that there is in your household to bless with is longing to just mimic and imitate mom and dad. And so as you, as you think about your Bible reading, as you think about getting into God's Word, here's where I want your brain to land. I am a beloved child. Some of you would really benefit. I gave this assignment over Christmas break to someone. Some of you would really benefit from reading Ephesians chapter 1 enough to where you just know what the next sentence is going to say. I don't know how long that's going to be for you. Maybe 30 days straight before you read the scriptures, you start your morning with Ephesians 1. You know why? Ephesians 1 places you as a beloved child. Right in the spotlight of, of the loving and doting Father who chose you and adopted you by His will and who's blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And you read that enough and it becomes a part of you enough. Then when you open the Word and even on days it feels like beats. You guys are learning what I don't like today. Even on days that it feels like beats that you're opening up, 
to God's Word, and there are those days, especially if you commit, I'm going to read the Word every day. Even on those days, you open it up and you go, you know what? My Father would never serve me a meal that would harm me. I want to be just like, I want to be just like my Father. I'm a beloved child. I trust the Father. I want to be just like Him. So here we go. And as you march forward, it becomes enjoyable. 1 Timothy 4.10. We looked at 1 Timothy 4.7. Some of you might still uh, be there. But 1 Timothy 4.10 says this. After talking about having nothing to do with irreverent myths, but training yourself for godliness, it having value for the life to come, verse 10 says this. For to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe, command and teach these things. Some of you in this room need to repent. Some of you in this room need to act like a king and respond like a king this morning. Don't turn there, but just write down Second Chronicles 34. In Second Chronicles 34, we see King Josiah... And he's there, and what happens is Hilkiah comes along, and he discovers the written word of God, dusty and forgotten, and not being listened to, proclaimed, or adhered to. And the response of the king is powerful, because the response of the king is that he tears his clothes, he shows great remorse, he repents, and he corrects the situation. Some of you sitting in here hearing about God's word and the vitality that it should have are stirred to mind that at one point in your life it held that place. But somewhere long ago it began to get dusty. It began to be peripheral in your life. The king decides instead to repent and to change things, to turn from that. He has the word read and they follow it to the letter. Let me invite the band up right now and leave you with a couple of application thoughts. One is this, the ideal time to start feasting on the Word is the same answer that you would give to someone who's gaunt and sickly and lacking food. When's the best time for that person to eat? Right now. Not once he figures out how to eat better. Not once he gets a better utensil set or some cleaner dishes or a nice restaurant or better food. The ideal time for you to eat to live is right now. So here's the beauty of it. But I missed January 1st. Who cares? It's January 7th. Start today. Start reading today. Here's the second thing I would say is uh, with that, is some people look, look for time, look for free time, exclaim that they don't have enough time, all of that. I've pulled all of those before. Here's the reality. If you don't take time, carve it out and set it and devote it, that's why people call it devotions, it'll just fritter away from you, won't it? 
day by day will go by and you won't have enough time. So take the time to start today. The second thing I would say with starting is this. Every time that you sit down to pray, and almost without fail, I don't make it like some religious rule, but almost without fail, by nature, I pray before I read the Word when I'm just reading quietly with myself or with one of my children. And the reason we do that is this. Because I started with the heart of the matter, and I started with the motivation of it and why we're doing it. Probably the most important thing you could do to make sure that the why is in order versus the what is not jump right into just get reading and doing something, but to pray beforehand. And sometimes the prayer is along the lines of Ephesians 1. I'm a, I'm a beloved child, God. You've, you've given me insight to understand this. You want to reveal yourself to me. Here we go. I'm searching. I'm all yours. And so you dive in and you start walking. Sometimes it's just a simple prayer. God, open up, open up the eyes of my heart to see what, what's in here today. So start with prayer and start now. Finally, uh, especially this week, I'm going to give you some homework in the weeks to come to try some new things in terms of how to study and read the Bible. But just read for the pure joy of conversing with God. Just open your Bible. Maybe it's been a long time since you've done that. For a pastor, pastors need to be reminded of this a lot. Hey, this isn't a textbook. This isn't something to be studied to help other people. This isn't something to memorize and get to know your stuff because that's your job. Some of the best things I do are just to get out of the office for me personally and just read God's Word. And even when I'm in the midst of a reading program, there are times I'll just read a passage of Scripture just because. Just for the pure joy of being in God's presence and conversing with Him and listening back and forth. Psalm 119.18 says this, Open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things out of your law. That's my prayer for you as we head out this week. Kind of a preview for next week. I'm going to go over kind of a basic library to help you get unstuck. One of the things, talking with someone last night, they said, you know, my problem with Bible reading is this. I get going on something, but so often I just get stuck. I don't know what it's talking about, and I don't know who to go to, and so I just gets bogged down. I want to equip you with some basic things, some basic tools that will help you with that. And then finally, some, some methods. Back to the banana um, not a lot of method, but just some methods to kind of get you going and moving on some things. Let's pray, and then uh, we're going to sing a, a powerful song talking about the light of God's Word. Lord, thank you so much for your Word. I thank you that it is, in fact, living, that it's active in our lives. Father, we, we just heard testimony last week of how your Word, in my mind, was just brought to life as a baptism occurred, and I, I see that we're in the same story that the early church was in, in the book of Acts. Just a different context, different people, different climate. But it's the same Jesus story that we're walking in and breathing in. And Jesus, I pray that as beloved children, this promise that holds the hope of the world for us, that holds the sweet fruits and meat and milk that various stages of life need, would be valued by us, that you would call to mind and draw to our hearts, would you stir our emotion, 
Would you convict our will? Would you engage our intellect, God? I pray that this church would be a changed body of people because we are enjoying our Bibles in 2012 like never before. We ask that from you as only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen.